guest today is Dr. Carl. For those listeners not familiar with Dr. Carl, he is a radio presenter, television personality, author, podcaster, scientist, and has degrees in physics and maths, biomedical engineering, medicine, and surgery, and has worked as a physicist, tutor, filmmaker, car mechanic, labourer, and as a medical doctor at the Kids Hospital in Sydney. Amongst his many achievements, he has written, so far, 47 books, hosts the Science Hour on Triple J every Thursday at 11am, and he is currently the Julius Sumner Miller Fellow at Sydney University, where his mission is to spread the good word about science and its benefits. So why are we talking to Dr. Carl? As things open up and we are moving towards more and more clients requiring that everyone be vaccinated, obviously everyone has the right to make the choice around whether or not he or she wants to have the vaccine. However, in order to make that decision, people need honest and accurate information. And unfortunately, there's a great deal of misinformation and unfortunately disinformation being spread about the safety, science and effectiveness of the current crop of vaccines. Now, for those of us who don't have a background in medicine, myself included, in fact, I'm about as far from a medical professional as one can get, it is hard to know what is true and what isn't. And so I thought I would bring on a guest who would be able to go through the information with us and give us some real idea as to what's real, what's fake, what's true, what's false, and what we actually need to know. Dr. Carl, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, so I would like to start by focusing you know, purely on the medical science stuff around vaccines to begin with. It appears that one of the most often asked questions around the vaccines focuses on the speed at which the vaccine was developed. It would appear that a lot of people have a concern that the vaccine was developed in a very compressed time period. Is that the case? And if so, how was this able to be achieved? What, was it uh, developed in one year rather than 10 years? Yes. God damn, yeah. Thank God yeah. it was. Otherwise, there'd be so many more dead people. Yep. yep, developed in a quicker time period. Yep. Um, how's it done? Um, a three-part process. The first part was that they just threw absolute shirtloads of money at it. Huge amounts of money. Absolute shirtloads. So, for example, only in the last few days has it been announced that we've got a vaccine against malaria. Why haven't wow. we had a vaccine against malaria before? Well, the cynic in me says because it happens mainly to poor people. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. But in this case, we had a disease affecting everybody, so they threw absolute shirtloads of money at it, part one. Part two, um, instead of doing the stages in sequence, they did them in parallel. So in sequence, the way they normally do it is that firstly, they develop a vaccine... And then they sort of test it very slowly on animals and then primates and then on humans to try and work out if it actually works. And by the way, they did that with the SARS, the original SARS vaccine, and after many years found that it actually increased the death rate. Right. So firstly, is it safe? Second stage, which normally they wait until they've done the first stage, but in this stage they didn't. They just went straight into it because it was an emergency. Second stage, they work out what the safe dose is. Is it five milligrams or 50 or 500? And should you give it once or twice or three times? And then the third stage is that they start looking for side effects, which normally happen within the first 
two months. After two months, you got nothing. Um, and then there is a fourth stage where they just follow it for year, uh, you know, for another twenty years. But normally, you don't get anything after the first four, yeah, eight, eight weeks. And in this case, they did all those three stages at the same time because right. because people were just dying like crazy. You know, um, the figures this morning are about four and a half, about one quarter of the world's population. No, not one quarter. Sorry, a quarter of a billion people have been medically proven to be infected, and two percent of them died. Right? You know, uh, so that's pretty risky. Then the third factor that made it possible to develop a vaccine so quickly was that there were just people infected like crazy. So if you develop a vaccine, say against malaria, what you have to do is go out and then get a whole bunch of people and then some you vaccinate and some you don't and then you sit back and you wait to see who comes down with malaria and you might have to wait two years. Well, in this case, mate, there was no need to wait two years. People were dying like crazy. And so they yeah. were able to compress all the stages, helped, of course, by infinite amounts of money uh, to have it done so quickly. So is it... Safe is a vaccine safe? Yes, and no. It all depends on what you mean by the word safe and which vaccine. So you might have heard about the clotting thing that happens with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So the figures are that on average, out across the population, your chances of having clots that will kill you as a direct result of taking the vaccine are roughly one in a million. Your chances yep. of getting killed as a direct result of travelling on the roads of Australia for a year are 40 out of a million. <laughs> and your chances of getting killed if you get infected with the actual disease are 20,000 out of a million. Now, I'm going to try and pick the lowest number, which is the safest. One or 20,000? I'm thinking one is a better set of odds than 20,000. Sure. Yeah. Nothing made by humans is perfect. Yep, absolutely. So then I guess that sort of leads us into the second question, which you've already discussed to some degree, but given that the current crop of vaccines have really only been in the wild for about a year now, how can we have any sort of, uh, I suppose, confidence around their long-term side effects or possible long-term implications? Every vaccine, and we've been giving vaccines, you know how long ago we started giving vaccines? I genuinely have no idea. 1,200 years ago. Okay. You know the story about that? No, I don't. Please enlighten us. So you've heard of the disease called smallpox? Yep. Now, smallpox is nasty. It kills roughly one-third of everybody that it infects. It's been wiped out by vaccination, compulsory in many cases. I was compulsorily vaccinated. Um, and between the years 1000 and 2000 AD, the number of people, sorry, of, of all the people who died between 1000 and 2000, 10% died from smallpox. In the last century before we wiped it out around 1988, half a billion people died from smallpox. So it's been around for a while. It's a nasty disease. And so what happened was that uh, way back about 1200 years ago, the Chinese doctors would go to somebody who was infected with smallpox keeping themselves appropriately socially distanced, etc., wearing a mask. And smallpox would give you these pox, P-O-C-K-S. Uh, the disease is spelled S-M-A-L-L-P-O-X, 
but the actual wound medically is called a POCK, and the plural is POCKS. And they get go to the pox, which is a mixture of pus and virus and dead skin cells, and they just scrape the top of it off, dry it in the sun. And then, with a tube, blow it up the nose of people who want to get vaccinated. You had wow. a 1% death rate. Because you didn't know how much virus there was. There might have been none, in which case there was no protection. Or there might have been lots, in which case you died. Or there might have been just the right amount that your body could recognise and fight off and not die from. And so that was the very first vaccine. So going back to the very first vaccine 1,200 years ago, and people would prefer because 1% death rate is better than a 30% death rate. Um, Going back to the very first vaccines, mate, the side effects are all over in six weeks. Eight weeks tops, absolute tops. You you just don't see side effects after six or eight weeks. You just don't. Okay. So then... uh there's a, a huge, it seems, uh, you know, amount of media reporting around these side effects regarding people who've reportedly had adverse side effects from blood clots to, you know, complications around pregnancy and all sorts of other ridiculous things. I mean, where does this information come from? Okay, well, let's deal with the blood clots. The blood clots, yep. one, with regard to the vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, one out of every million people who get the vaccine will die as a direct result of having the vaccine from a blood clot and I rushed out to get my AstraZeneca as fast as I could. With regard to the pregnancy, there has been zero proof, zero evidence that the vaccines cause any complications. I read another study just two days ago with 100,000 women who had been vaccinated and were pregnant compared to 100,000 women who had not been vaccinated and were pregnant, there was no increase in adverse side effects, miscarriage, early bleeding, nothing. The vaccine has zero effects on pregnant women. It's perfectly safe. And you're saying, where does this message come from? Um, Okay, I'll ask you a question. Have you seen the movie on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? I most certainly have. Yeah, well, uh, my theory is that's where it's coming from. Yep. So I remember when I was a kid and at the school I went to, every single little flower Catholic school in Wollongong, every year in the primary school, every year there was at least one person, who one, one kid who had got polio and had to walk around with leg irons. And people died from it. And I remember at some stage, they put us all into a bus and they drove us down to the Memorial Hall in Kembler Street in Wollongong. And all around the wall, all around the walls were the parents. And they watched us kids get vaccinated. And it was a nasty disease to everybody, child or adult. I only realised later that the parents voluntarily gave up their chance to have the vaccine so the kids would have it. And back then... There was nobody saying, no, don't get the polio vaccine. It'll make you grow an extra arm out of the middle of your forehead. (laughs) So where is this information coming from? I'm blaming social media. So to understand how come the social media are doing it and why, I would recommend the following three books. The System by James Ball. The System by James Ball. Um, And then Stolen Focus by Johan Harry, H-A-R-I. 
And then The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff, Z-U-B-O-F-F. And it is of benefit to the social media companies, Zoo, uh, sorry, that'd be YouTube and um, Google and Facebook, is of benefit to them to tell you lies. They make money out of telling you lies. How so? Because for the average person who's listening to this, they're going to think, well, how does that work? How do they make money out of telling you lies? Okay, it works like this. Firstly, you know how you might be clicking on a homepage wanting to buy some sheets or something? And then suddenly you see something down the bottom that says the world is flat or the world is run by shape-changing, satanic, pedophile reptiles from the planet Zog or there's no such thing as a coronavirus and there's a 5G chips inside the... And if you click on that, each time you click on a link, any link, each time you click on any link, um, Facebook or Google, they're the two big ones, they will get between one and five cents. They're not getting it from you, and they're not getting it from the people who sell the sheets. What they're doing is they're getting it from the advertisers. By the way, if you're a more important person, like a financial person, they'll pay up to 20% 20 cents to have you click on something, because when you click on the next homepage, in that hundredth of a second before the next homepage starts loading, your details... And your details are roughly five gigabytes. We know that you like chocolate ice cream instead of lemon ice cream. You like a McDonald's thick shake every couple of years. We know all that, five gigabytes. All that information is put up to about 100 major advertisers who in that hundredth of a second will bid on being able to show you the ads on the next page you go to. And then um, they will put those 20 or so ads up once they've bid, say, between one and five cents. So that's the first part of the background that you need to know. And according to the book by James Ball, the typical figures are from 2018 that um, Facebook, in the last three months of 2018, had revenues of $16.9 billion. Wow. $16.6 billion came from advertising, right? Yep. 98% of their revenue comes from advertising. And they yep. get it not from you and not from the company selling you the sheets, but from the people who bid for the right to show you a bunch of ads on the next page that you go to. Okay, that's the first bit of background data you need to know. Second bit of background data is that you are more likely to pay attention to something that is scary and dangerous than is pleasant. So if you go all through the age groups and you've got a choice between a pink unicorn or an angry person, regardless of the face, you're going to click on the angry person because we are wired up. We're wired up to look out for threats. The pink unicorn is not going to kill you, but the angry person will. And um, this is universal across the ages. And you also... Once you've come across something that could be dangerous to you, you pay it not just attention, but you go into a state called hypervigilance. So imagine you're going for a walk in the national park and there's all the beautiful flannel flowers and then a little bit later, maybe a minute later, a bunch of galahs go overhead going, quack, 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 quack. You think, oh my God, it's beautiful. But imagine you're going for a walk and as soon as you see the flannel flowers, instantly you see a red-bellied black snake. Maybe you're focusing on that. The galahs go overhead, you don't give a damn. 
You're focusing on that red belly black snake and then you're going to gradually back off and you are hyper vigilant, right? So you're giving it all your attention. So what they do in these links is they get things going worse and worse. So if, for example, on YouTube, on the first video, you're just interested in finding out of the history of the Second World War, by the time you get to maybe the 20th one, you're finding out that the world, there are these links offering you this information, that the world is run by the deep state, and by the time you get to the 30th link, you're invited to join a white supremacist Nazi group, and you're down the yep. rabbit hole. And no matter what you look at, Everywhere you look, it tells you that the world is run by shape-changing reptiles from the planet Zog. And it's not just one person that says it, it's all these people on YouTube. And if, if more than one person says that, it must be right. And so with regard to um, the money, the money does not come from you that, that Facebook and Google live off. And the money doesn't come from the sheet advertisers, it, comes from the, from, it doesn't come from the sheet makers, it comes from the sheet advertisers. And so it's in their interest to put dangerous stuff up which will scare you. And there was a recent study, a very small study, looking at young Australians aged between 9 and 17. And this was their very first time on TikTok. In the very first 35 minutes ever they went on to TikTok, 90% of them saw deliberate lies about COVID, saying it didn't exist, and two-thirds saw deliberate lies saying that the vaccines would make you sick. Now, this is on TikTok, which doesn't do a lot of advertising, but they were people who'd been convinced into believing this bad stuff by going through the Google and uh, YouTube and Facebook pathway. They believe this deeply because they keep on seeing it over and over again, and it's run purely for making the uh, advertisers... Uh, be able to show you more ads and making Google and Facebook wealthier. And the way around it is to change the focus of those companies so the cu customer is you, not the advertiser. But that's a different story. Yes, well, I, th I think there's a lot to be said around the challenges around social media, the internet, and uh, and giving everyone a voice and lack of critical thinking skills being taught in schools around Australia. But we'll circle back to that because I have a couple of questions on that. Um, sticking with the current theme, if I'm, a, if I'm young and healthy and, you know, have all my faculties and all the rest of it. I mean, aren't the chances of me having a bad reaction to the vaccine higher than actually having significant side effects from COVID? No, just plain no. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's strange some of the questions that pop up in these feeds, but this is, you know, obviously this is stuff that people feel. Um, okay, let me give you the numbers. Um, yep. With AstraZeneca, one out of every million will die from the vaccine. With yep. the disease, 20,000 will die from the vaccine. 20,000 is a bigger number than one. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't this disease just affect people who are older or overweight or who have other underlying health conditions? If I'm rel relatively young and healthy, am I less likely to get it? Um, you're less likely to have bad effects. So with, for example, the f disease called the flu, it has a bimodal distribution. That's fancy medical talk for it affects the really young ones and the older ones and not much in between. With the COVID-19 current version, it tends to peak up around 80 or 90 and then drop off again because there's not many people there anyway. So yes, your chances of coming down with something are low, but uh, I came across a case of a medical doctor in his 30s 
who was really fit. He was so fit that he would go to France and cycle after the main contenders in the Tour de France on the same track, but obviously slower than them. He came down with long COVID and he can't walk up a set of stairs without having to have a break every three steps. So yeah. it seems like about 3 to 10% of people get long COVID. Yep. Right? Um, do you wear a seatbelt in a car? Yes, of course. When was the last time you were involved in a car collision? Oh, quite some time ago now. He's hoping that doesn't change. So why do you bother wearing a seatbelt if you haven't been in a car collision for 10 years? Yeah, well, obviously it's a preventative measure and there are plenty of people out there who would say just because the law says I have to. I had my first road accident um, the day after I got my licence and went under a semi-trailer and even though it wasn't compulsory, I went out and got seatbelts immediately. So that sort of brings us into our second question then, which is uh, that, you know, this belief that, and we'll use your example of polio before, well, if everyone else is getting vaccinated and I'm young and the chances of me getting something significant uh, less, if everyone else is getting vaccinated, why do I need to get vaccinated? Ah, well, there's those m- m- nice words you said in the middle of me getting something. Let me give you some, let me talk about something in five stages with numbers, okay? So if you have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and the virus lands on you, there are five main outcomes. In about 60 to 70% of cases, and this depends upon you and your physical fitness, but also your immune system, one-fifth of all COVID deaths are happening in really healthy people who just have an immune system quirk that they end up killing themselves. Do you know that in most cases, it's the f- when you get infected by the flu and you die, It's not the flu that kills you, but your own immune system. Do you know that? No, I didn't. No. So, um, and by the way, this is part of the reason that it's easy why people get confused because the amount of knowledge needed to be a medical person, a health worker, is just enormous. I used to read one science fiction book every day of my life from when I was about 16 to when I was 32. Wollongong Library, I love you to pieces. And... I didn't read them properly, I just read them. But when I started studying medicine at the age of 32, I had to stop wasting a whole hour, wasting, and then because the body of knowledge I had to absorb was just so huge. And if you compare the knowledge that's in the side, inside the brain of the average medical doctor after they've been through six years of university, then four years in the hospital system so that they're safe, and then another couple of years of specialist training, 15 years before they're allowed on the general public, the amount of knowledge they've got is huge. And it's so much more than somebody who's got zero health knowledge. So let's yeah. go back to the example of what this something is when um, the virus comes and lands on you, if you've been fully vaccinated. And so the five stages are that... Nothing happens, the virus comes and dies and you don't get infected and you can't infect anybody else. And that happens in about 60 to 80% of cases. But that means that there's maybe 30% of cases where you're fully vaccinated and in good health and you get infected and you can infect another person and you didn't know you were infected, right? Stage one. Stage two, you get infected and you get a bit of crook and you go to bed and you come good after a couple of days. Stage three, um, you're a bit crook, you have to go to hospital, but, you know, 
they send you home, no big deal after a couple of days. Stage four, you have to go in intensive care unit. That's serious. If you have to go into an intensive care unit, you would have died otherwise. And stage five, you die. So the protection that the vaccines, plural, give you depend on you, your immune system, and little quirks in your immune system and your health and everything else. And the protection varies from 60 to 70% against having absolutely no infection at all up to 99% protection against dying. It's like yep. a seatbelt. Now, I'll give you an example here. Think about this. In the United Kingdom last year, in the year 2020, um, of all of the people who died in road incidents, two-thirds were wearing seatbelts. Does that mean that seatbelts don't work? Yeah. No. So it's just doing supersonic speeds, right? So yep. uh, the vaccines, uh, they're not perfect protection. But if everybody gets... Uh, you know, covered together. If everybody gets vaccinated, then it's pretty close to perfect protection. You don't have to worry about some people who are on cancer treatments and who are immunosuppressed. And if you sneeze next to them, they'll get whatever you've got. Well, then you can. Pr then they're much better protected if everybody in society is vaccinated. I guess the argument that some people would uh, refer to in response to that though as they would say but if I'm vaccinated I can still get the disease and I can still pass it on so how does being vaccinated help me with that? Oh it stops you from dying. Suppose you've got a bunch of people who are double vaccinated and if they were not vaccinated they would die but if they are double vaccinated only one of them would die it improves your odds by 99 to 1 so if you've got 100 people who would otherwise die, if they're vaccinated, only one of them would die. But that depends on that special subset of people who would then go on to get the severe disease. Because remember, in, the most, in most cases, people either get nothing or just a mild illness. And you think, but why should I bother protecting one in 100 people? So let me ask you this question. John, do you ever drink coffee? Yes. How many cups of coffee do you have in a year? No, not many. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but a few. How many? Oh, I'd say probably four or five. How about tea? How many cups of tea do you have in a year? I'm one of those rare, strange people that doesn't drink tea or coffee. But if we said sugar-free soft drink, I couldn't count it. Okay, how many sugar-free soft drinks do you have a year? Uh, I, I dare say there's probably not a high enough number to put on it. Three <laughs> no. a day? Yeah, yes. So you have a thousand? Yep. Suppose they had a 1% chance of killing you. Yep. Would you... Drink your thousand soft drinks a year? Probably not. Okay, so you you got this. You order you order them in. You order yep. in your cases, your hundred cases of ten bottles. So you got a thousand bottles, and you want to drink them over the next year. But the chances are that after each hundred, you your chances are very high. You're going to be dead. Yep. Would you would you start? No, I would not. So that's why we're, we're interested in protecting people even at the one percent death rate. Yeah, and is I, I suppose to, to come back to your point earlier with regard to the polio vaccine, I'm assuming here, because this might surprise listeners, but I am not a medical professional in any way, shape or form, but I imagine the more people that get vaccinated like we do with polio and, and other diseases, the faster we eradicate the disease. Yes, and, but you can't. there are some diseases you cannot eradicate. Yep. So if the disease has a reservoir that is not... A human, you can't really eradicate it. Right. With smallpox, we could. Uh, yep. But with the flu and with the coronavirus, mate, they'll live in mink and ducks 
and dogs and pangolins and all sorts of and all sorts of birds, uh, chickens, uh, but you can't really eradicate go for a hundred percent eradication. What you can do is get the numbers down really low. And th- this is interesting. You know how we've been doing all this social distancing uh, over the last couple of years. Yep. Um, and you know how the flu comes around every year and kills a bunch of people. It, it, of the people that it infects, it normally kills one out of every thousand, uh, bearing in mind that it mostly kills the very young and the very old. So between July last year and then going into winter and then coming into May, how many people in Australia do you think died from the flu? I would assume very few. Zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but is this not one of the arguments that we hear recited a lot around this whole COVID thing of, well, the flu generally tends to kill more people than COVID, so why do we need, and we don't shut down cities and lock down countries over the flu, why are we doing this over COVID? The, sh- the flu, let me be very precise. In Australia, the flu in the past yep. uh, would kill more people than were killed by COVID when we did COVID social distancing, lockdowns and vaccines. Right. But compare it to England, three times the population. We had 1,000 deaths. Did they have 3,000 deaths? No, 150,000. 147,000 people didn't need to die. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the flu does kill people, but COVID running wild would kill a lot more, but we managed to keep the numbers down really low. And by the way, university, if you look at the financial papers, the main financial cost is from dead people. If you've got the flu, if you've got the COVID coming in and you don't do the lockdown, you've just got these massive numbers of dead people and everything shuts down anyway because the hospitals are going flat out. It's not the lockdown that's destroying the economy. It's the disease itself firstly causing it. Okay. So I want to come back to a point that you you raised earlier around disinformation and misinformation and, and women's pregnancy. There was a, a piece of work that you wrote uh, talking about how some of this disinformation had come from a disgruntled ex-Pfizer employee talking about, uh, I think it was the a particular amino or protein acid that was uh, in common with the the vaccine. Can you walk me through that a little bit and help people understand the difference between disinformation and misinformation and how this is perpetuating things? Well, what's what's happening on um, TikTok, for example, most of the people there are spreading misinformation. They genuinely believe what they're saying. But uh, in some cases, it can be disinformation where... It's deliberate lies. They know it's lies. And they're just going to say it over and over again because of some other agenda that they have. This ex-Pfizer employee went online and said the vaccines attack a certain protein associated with the virus. It's called a spike protein. And it uses this spike protein to invade our cells. And it's absolutely unique to this particular type of coronavirus. So the vaccines attack this spike protein and he said, well, blow me down, this spike protein is almost identical to a protein in pregnant women that helps them have get pregnant and have a successful pregnancy and it will attack this protein in pregnant women and therefore will make them all infertile. Now, he was lying 
Uh, the protein in women is called syncytin, S-Y-N-C-Y-N-T-I-N. And what it does is it helps the placenta stick to the inside wall of the uterus. The placenta, okay, imagine you've got yourself a fertilised egg. Um, man or woman have loved each other very much in a special way. And the egg floats into the uterus and can't do anything. What's going to happen is that out of nowhere, a magical and wondrous organ called the placenta pops into existence, attaches to the wall of the uterus, attaches onto the fertilised egg, and gives it nutrition, takes away waste, does a whole lot of other good things, and then at the end of the pregnancy is delivered short through the same pathway, is delivered just after the baby, and it vanishes. And what this person was saying was that there's this protein that helps the placenta stick is you know, very similar to the spike protein and therefore it's going to attack this protein and women won't be able to get pregnant. He was lying. Uh, and in fact, it's equally similar to haemoglobin, which is in your red blood cells. It's equally similar to collagen. Which is in your, which is the most common protein in the whole body, and it's equally similar to a protein called actin, which is in your muscles, and it doesn't attack them. It's a total yeah. lie. But because he used a few fancy, sciencey words, and the vast majority of us do not have health training, we've got all, all different areas of ignorance. Mate, you ask me to analyze a financial f- spreadsheet or a company's um, balance sheet of the books, no idea. Geology, no idea. You know, we all have different areas of ignorance and people are playing on it, but the trouble is in this case, the ignorance can lead to people dying. Yeah. There's, um, there's a commonly circulated discussion around, well, if we're getting more and more variants, we're currently up to Delta now, we started with Alpha, and with each new variant, it seems to become, again, not a medical professional, but it seems to become more and more virulent. And allegedly that's making the vaccines less and less effective. If we've got more virulent, more dangerous variants on the horizon, which we allegedly are now getting reports of, should I be getting vaccinated now or should I wait until there's more effective vaccines coming out? And, you know, it would seem the logical thing is to get vaccinated as quickly as you possibly can, but it's a question worth asking. Do both. Do you like a chicken schnitty? Absolutely. Okay, now for the people who do not live in Australia, can you explain what a chicken schnitty is? So we're talking about a chicken schnitzel, a lovely piece of chicken crumbed and breaded. Yep, okay. So back in 1937, a virus mutated. It was a coronavirus. It had been living in chickens for thousands of years. And it mutated in 1937 into a variant that would kill chickens via lung, sorry, by lung and kidney disease. And it could infect 100% of a flock within 24 hours. And if it came into your flock, you had to kill all the chickens immediately, burn them, bury them, and hope like heck it didn't get to the other chickens nearby. And there was a lot of pressure to develop a vaccine, which we did around the 1970s. And so we've had a bunch of vaccines. So here's the situation today. Today, on one hand, we've got 500 really nasty, very virulent coronaviruses that are harmless to you and me, but they kill chickens like crazy. And to fight these 500 different coronaviruses, we've got 100 different vaccines. And we're all developing new ones. And... They give different ones, 
depending on where you are on the planet. And virtually every single commercial chicken is vaccinated at birth and then at two weeks and four weeks and so on. Did you know that chickens get vaccinated against this fatal coronavirus? I had absolutely no idea. And the way they vaccinate them is by spraying it into the air and they breathe a bit of it in, but it goes onto their wings as well. And then okay. on their wings, they preen it off with their beak and they take it in that way. And they're vaccinated every two weeks until they die. And if we did not vaccinate all the commercial chickens, and by the way, the weight of chickens today is greater than the weight of all the other birds in existence on the planet. If we did not vaccinate all the commercial chickens every two weeks, you could not have your delicious chicken schnitty, you couldn't have fried chicken, you couldn't have baked chicken, and you couldn't have chicken soup. Across all cultures, it would be a disaster. And if you wanted chicken, it'd be sort of like, do you want chicken? Where, where do I get it? Oh, I know this uh, farmer out of town. And there'd be, you know, in each capital city, there might be... 10 farmers scattered around and not enough of a critical mass for the virus to take off. But uh, that's what we have. And so I'm seeing that for you, this is what's going to happen. And this is a feel-good happiness story. In maybe five to 10 years, depending on how fast we go at it, you go to the GP and the GP says, John, I've been looking at your DNA because all your DNA will be there. And they'll say, "I'm, I'm seeing you have strengths and weaknesses in your DNA with regard to the coronavirus. Now, remember, about one-fifth of people have a bit of a quirk where their immune system kills themselves when it's triggered by the coronavirus. Okay, So we've got, we've got I, I know your strengths and your weaknesses in your DNA. Now tell me where on the planet you're physically going to be over the next six months. And you say, I'm going to be here, going to have a holiday in Hawaii, blah, 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 blah. And then in the doctor's surgery, on the spot, using a 3D printer, they will print off a bunch of of vaccines tailored for your DNA and your locations over the next six months. And then this will happen every six months for the next couple of decades. Wow. On the other hand, if we didn't do this, there'd be no such thing as chicken schnitties. Can you you imagine such a disaster? It would be a disaster of the greatest magnitude. Um, Now on that subject, not chicken schnitties, but vaccines, is there one that's better than the other? Um, yes and no. Uh, if I was living in an Antarctic research station and there was nobody coming for the next five years, I would be obviously safer off not having any vaccine at all. Right. But we're all going to get infected. At the moment, we've got about 3 or 4% of the world's population infected and it's just going to spread. It's just going to go to everywhere. So depending on where you are, it depends on what you're going to go for. So at the other extreme, when it looks like it's ramping up, you just go for any vaccine and if they're saying there's a 12-week delay, forget it. Go for eight weeks or four, whatever. Just You go to war with the army you have, not the army you want. Right. Yep. So depending on your circumstance, get vaccinated and then talk with your GP about what the options are, depending on whether it's really risky. Like if you're if you're in the middle of a, where there's a whole bunch of people getting infected and the and, and this is the other thing to keep an eye on. If the intensive care beds are filling up. Right. 
then you go and get whatever you can. So it's a spectrum, right? You will, but overall, you will be much, much, much safer getting vaccinated than not getting vaccinated. Yep. So in closing, uh, let me ask you this final question. It seems that the challenge that some people are having around the vaccine debate is understanding fact from fiction and sorting the wheat from the chaff. How can we be better at A, sorting through the information and B, teaching people critical thinking skills? It's hard in Australia because the Australian federal and state governments no longer see education as a worthwhile investment in the future. In my case, I've been very lucky. I've had 28 years of free education, including 16 years at university. And I've also lived a life that enabled me to spend the time being a student rather than being a family person, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Only later in life do I go for the family thing. Uh, So on one hand, you're dealing with a system which does not see education as a worthwhile investment in the future. In fact, Australia has the highest percentage of private school students in the world and Australia is the only country in the whole world where the federal government gives more money to the private companies that happen to run schools than it does to the government schools. So it's hard for the schools with the teachers dropping out and being treated badly. So I would say part of it would be, from the top down, reinventing the education system and making it better for everybody. That's part of it. Critical thinking, there's so much for the students to learn. Critical thinking is part of what they should learn, but the teachers are just flat out. They're spending so much time doing non-teaching things. So I go and do two school question and answer sessions every Wednesday afternoon for free. By the way, if you want one for your school, cost you nothing, um, just go to drkarl.com and book one, D-R-K-A-R-L.com, and I go to schools in person. Fantastic. The majority of the government schools that I go to have the teachers buying breakfast for their students out of their own personal income and their own wallets in their own pockets. Wow. Right? The majority of the government schools that I have been to, the, the, the teachers have to put out their own money. So it's really hard to say, oh, by the way, why don't you do some critical thinking teaching as well? And the other thing is um, we've got this background thing of the social media temporary thing where um, we're now having people actually believing, wait for it, that the earth is flat. (laughs) We didn't go to the moon. The social media have got a lot to answer for. And so in this book here, the one called Stolen Focus by John Harry, he very cleverly or Johan Harry, he puts his finger exactly on the problem. And the problem is that the companies making their money from social media, Facebook, Google, they've got only one responsibility in their eyes, which is to the advertisers. And so we've got to have some government-level action to stop this happening. I don't remember anybody saying, when I got infected with polio, don't have the polio vaccine. For God's yeah. sakes. It's like saying to somebody, look, mate, I know you're dying of thirst and you're drinking water, but do you know, have you thought about the side effects of eating food and drinking water? You know, it could be bad for you. You're better off just doing nothing. Yeah. Well, look, Dr. Carl, thank you so much for your time. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, DrCarl.com. Follow me on Twitter, on TikTok. Mate, 
I did this TikTok, and it's the worst one, and it was about microphones. You'd appreciate this. Now, look, tell me if you agree with this, Dr. John. Are you ready for it? Here comes a sentence. Right? I'm, I'm giving it to you now. Here it comes. Okay. It's not a miracle, comma, it's just a microphone. In other words, you have to talk into the microphone. You can't just have a good sound by shouting at the computer microphone half a metre away or having a microphone on your desk, okay? Do you agree with me on that sentence? Learn how to talk into a microphone, right? I agree with you 100%. TikTok on this, which I thought was very funny and entertaining, and I called it Big Mike or Magic Mike. Yep. Put everything into it. I even sang on it. I tell you, that's how much. And we've only got 5,000 views. Okay. So, look, just follow me on drcarl.com, TikTok, anything. Um, that's it. Uh, and listen on radio. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you very much for your time. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you very much, Dr. John. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day.